Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 85. Today we spoke to David Hyatt, co-founder of Hyatt Denim Company, The Do Lectures, and author of Do Purpose and Do Open. We talked about all things brand, culture, and purpose with David, and what makes great businesses great. We open a dialogue about how David has adjusted during COVID-19 and still given value in an events business. The Do Lectures has had to pivot and reinvent itself. David shares the importance of being 1% better each day, that ongoing quest. Thanks for joining us on our show, David. And please check out his Keyboard CEO course online. Highly recommended. David, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm very good, actually. It's a, it's a warm West Wales, so you know, sun, super sunny. So um, how are you? Well, we're a little jealous because it's not super <laughs> sunny here in Ireland. Oh, really? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty kind of overcast, but sure, that's kind of a normal summer's day for us, David. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, very good. Look, I suppose everyone's going through a lot, and we've all gone through a lot over the last five, six months. I'm sure you've been asked that a lot already, but how has this whole COVID period treated you and kind of what have you nearly, I suppose, done through it and learned about yourself through this period? That's a really good question because I think lockdown itself was in some ways okay. And then coming out of lockdown is actually harder than being in lockdown. And actually, essentially for me, nothing materially changed because, I mean, I would go and write in my shed I mean, uh, and you know, then go home, and you know, yeah, I've got this writing shed at the bottom of uh, you know, the farm, and you know, clearly, my wife's joke is, "You've been in isolation for years." So, um, <laughs> so it's interesting. I, I, I don't know about how you feel, in as much as you know, was lockdown in some ways a really um, you know, a pause that perhaps we all needed. I, I know, obviously, a lot of people hurt and stuff. Um, but c- going back into normal, was that harder than actually lockdown? That, that, that's something I'm thinking about. I don't know the answer to that. I suppose from my perspective anyway, I have had a chance to reflect, think, pivot, do some different things, but I've also had to manage a, a three-year-old toddler bouncing oh, around yeah, the place yeah. <laughs> and, and a pregnant wife. So uh, that's, that's made it a bit more tricky to find my <laughs> contemplative space to read it. Yeah, right yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that would be tricky. <laughs> a lot of people got off the treadmill, had chance to question whether they're on the right treadmill, and then ask themselves, "Should I get back on?" And I think that's, I think that's the state of flux for a lot of people. And I think that's a pretty amazing place because they're actually beginning to question the treadmill that they were just going. Oh, yeah, I'm just taking this box. Yeah, definitely. We had a recent guest on Laura Gassner-Otting from the States, and she was saying, is the normal that we're used to 
one that we want to go back to. So yeah, yeah, that was, it's a good question to ask yourself, and hopefully, yeah. people are starting to be self-reflective and more self-aware at the moment. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's um, yeah for some people the normal was actually you know, part of the problem, <laughs> and to have that amount of time to actually take a pause and actually reflect. I mean, obviously, you know, most people have never had it before. Yeah. So a lot of your business, David, I suppose, would be based on on workshops and kind of presenting live with an, with an audience there around you, kind of like what we do with our with our kind of corporate well being company. How have you managed to you know to to adjust through this period and and still suppose give a lot of value? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, for the do lectures, it's pretty interesting in as much as really it's. Um, it was an events business, and in obviously in March, um, you know that business, ninety percent of that business, well actually one hundred percent of that business, um, got stopped, and we don't actually know, you know, you know when that business is going to come back. Um, and we had other products that we were playing around with, we were super interested in, and you know we, you know, we had to go and you know, like reinvent ourselves pretty quick. And and so you know, it's you know a lot of businesses spend a decade to lose ninety percent of their business and, and you know you know we did it very efficiently in March um, and that actually sort of suddenly go okay the you know that staying as we were was no longer available to us and I, I think you know, like companies you know, especially when you're small and agile it, it kind of makes it pretty interesting so. Um, so we literally, you know, concentrated on the the bits that were, you know were the online courses, and so it, it's very odd to be able to say this is you know we lost ninety percent of our business in March, and yet at the end of this year we're probably going to still be in quite a lot of growth. We we didn't furlough anyone, you know, um, we're hiring, and and so that's you know that that's um, that's a pretty interesting place to be right now. That's great. And and David, what advice would you give for, for say, people that maybe through this period have looked at themselves and thought about their purpose and kind of what they want to be doing and said, maybe I want to do something different, but the, the startup, the brand they're trying to build, it's I suppose it's it's tricky because we don't know when the, the finish line is. What advice would you give to those people that maybe have decided they want to do something different, but it's it's a bit difficult to see when they can really get into that? Yeah, I mean, if a lot of people, I mean, yeah, they're on the cusp of starting and um, leaving a salary is a hard thing. And, and I, leaving a salary when it's actually pretty, pretty good one is very hard and especially in uncertain times. And but in your heart of hearts, there's a nagging doubt where you go, gosh, this thing isn't, you know, this thing that is, you know, I'm trading my time for something I don't love. And you want to flip that and, and actually start doing, you know, you know, with your time, your precious time on this planet, things that you do love. Because in the end, like if if you love something, you're going to get really good at it. And if you get really good at it, you're going to build a business around it. If you build a business around what you love, then ultimately you're going to win. So it's hard to be sitting on the fence because everybody wants a guarantee. The only guarantee I truly understand is, um, you know, that thing of working hard around something um, that you care about deeply 
And, you know, and if you can go and build a community around that, you've got enough really to go and start a business. And, and you know, there's many aspects to building a business. One of them is, you know, do you care about this thing? And because are you willing to do it for 5,000 days? I mean, that's always a good question, isn't it? You go, um, and also when sometimes when the, the, the numbers you know, are pretty tough, are you willing to stick at it? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and so it, it's a really, you know, big question for people, you know, are you going to go and commit and do something that you care about? Because the most important thing that you have you know, is obviously your health, but, um, you know, it's the time you're given each day. And, and there's a time bank, 86,400 seconds you're given each day. And you go to the bank each day and you go, I'm going to withdraw this 86,400 seconds. And, and the bank doesn't tell you what you should spend it on. But then there's one day you go to the time bank and it says, oh, sorry, Mr. Hyatt, we have no more time for you. And in that nanosecond, you look back on your life and say, did I use my time well? And, and that's the duty you have to yourself. And that's the duty you have to your family. Like, you know, when you're raising kids, they don't really care that much about money. They want to see if you're happy or not. It's very true. It's a great message. In terms of your personal experience from when you made the transition from a salary or a, a job that was secured to starting your own business, your own denim company, how, was, how did that transition occur for yourself? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if I'm the best example because I mean, on the first business we started, uh, you know, we started it, you know, in '95, and we did it for you know almost six years as a as a hobby, and and so we didn't get a paycheck till 2001, and um, so we had a day job that was you know our salary, so we're a little bit of a coward that we wouldn't leave that salary. It was a nice salary. Um, but it got to a point where actually, you know, there was a list of the top 50 brands in the UK. And I think you know, Howie's was number 12. I think we'd beat Adidas, but we didn't beat Nike. And um, and it was that point. I was reading this article about you know the brand that myself and Claire had started. And I went to myself, wow, they're treating us with respect. Maybe I should do the same. And, uh, and I can respect it with my time. And, and it was that point, you know, we sold our house in, in London, you know, moved back to Wales and, and that freed money up in as much as we could go and, you know, then commit, you know, each day to this business. And it grew like crazy because we committed time to it. So it was six years of being a coward, really, which is pretty <laughs> <hard> good advice. <laughs> yeah. That's the motto. Love, love that piece you've spoken about, about all great brands have to really ask a great question. It's something that people don't think about, you know, when you're doing your articulation of your brand, or maybe you refined it over the last couple of months in the mission statement and your values, but, but you have something written up on a building that says, how can we be lower impact today than we were yesterday? Can you just shed a bit of light onto, I suppose, the question and and why you you go for a question as opposed to nearly a statement? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I mean I love brands. I mean, and I, I love it when they speak to you, you know, to your heart, not just your head. And 
like for me, like a lot of brands, they have a mission statement. They put it up on the wall and, and people walk past it each day and they don't truly care about it. It's just words. And so, but I think with a great question is because you're not making a statement or, you know, we are the greenest company in the world. You go like, I'm sort of saying we can do better today than we did yesterday. So it's really about, you know, can we get those small wins? Can we, you know, find that 1% improvement each day? Because I think that's a much more interesting uh, company that keeps asking the question each day, how, how can we get better than we were yesterday? Uh, because that's a that's a never-ending quest, and and there's more engagement in the question than just here's the answer. You go oh, okay, um, and I always kind of thought that um, you know, like being a collector of good questions was a, a really um, amazing thing. You know, there's some just brilliant questions out there, isn't there? And you know, if you think about you know, why is your best friend your best friend? I mean, the answer to that question actually reveals your values, what you look for in people. And, and so you know, asking a great question for Hyatt was that thing of going, look, hey, we know we're not there yet, but can we just get a little bit better than we were yesterday? Because 1% improvement each day you know, for, for the entire year is a lot of improvement. And, 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 it, and also it's very, very achievable. Can we be 1% better today than we were yesterday? Well, that seems, seems like a low bar, bar to jump over. I could, I could jump over that bar. So it, it's, a, it's, it's the quest. I, I, I know, great questions are really galvanizing. Definitely. One question in the business world that's asked all the time is what makes great companies great? And it, it seems like you with successful business so far have identified culture as one of the main areas. And you said work with people you want to and look after them. Would you elaborate for the listeners on that sort of culture you have? In- a lot of companies, they, they think they have a sales problem. But actually what they really have is a culture problem. And, and actually, you know, like, because if you think about it, like a great culture builds a team. And a great team builds a business. And, and, and so the most important thing, the starting point is like the culture uh, that you create, and and you know, um, when I was doing Howie's, I wanted to you know take on you know like the Patagonias in the world, and and go and 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 start this incredible business, and, and so I had great goals, but actually, for me now, is can I build a great culture? Because if I do that, um, is the culture will take care of the team, and the team will take care of the business. So it's a very interesting way of looking at it, you know, as opposed to most people, because most entrepreneurs, they go, yes, we're going to go and scale this business to X. And for me, that's actually a completely boring um, way of looking at it. And is, can I create a culture where I create a safe space for people to do their best work they've ever done? And, because actually, when you really start to think about what was the good bits of being a, a, an entrepreneur, is you know hiring really good people, you know creating that safe space, 
seeing them fly, seeing them develop, seeing them go on and do amazing things because normally they go, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, and then they fly. And so that's the most rewarding aspect of business where you're suddenly seeing these amazing people fly and you create this uh, incredible space for them to, you know, like fail, you know, they're not really that interesting so they fail a really good couple of times because it's kind of always interesting to see them pick themselves up and go, okay, let's go again. And so culture for me is when people literally, they look at things and they look at it in the wrong way. And, and they will say this, and people will say this, is I have a sales problem, and I'm going, almost definitely, they have a culture problem. And, and if, you, if you were brought into a company tomorrow, David, to, that would say, maybe the leadership group would say to you, we're, we're struggling with our identity and our culture, and we just don't think we have a cohesive unit here. We're not, we don't have the energy we want, the kind of culture and environment we're trying to radiate kind of what, where would you start? What would you kind of look to as to how to maybe build that culture that could help that small company blossom with time a little more? Well, I mean, if I was looking at, say, um, you know, areas where, you know, perhaps they were weak is, you know, if there's weak creativity, it's probably because, um, you know, when something has gone wrong, you know, they've attached failure to it. And, and so it's you can't do great creative um, yeah, innovations without quite a lot of failure along the way. And so, so you know, and and so it's always the, the opposite of what you think. So, oh, you know, we're not very creative. You got to know actually when you tried things and they didn't work, that person lost the confidence to try and be brave again. Because, you know, they attached, you know, there was a stigma to failure. So you almost got to make it a requirement for them to fail. You go, why aren't you failing enough? Like, you know, and, and that's why I keep saying to the team, I'm going, look, hey, you know, we're just not making enough uh, mistakes here, I mean, which kind of means that we're not tr- trying, you know, as soon as you copy your formula, you're not that interested anymore. Because people know what to expect, you know what to expect, and the customer knows what what's to expect. So you've got to think about what actually, when you drill down on the particular problem in that culture, is it's always sometimes the opposite of what you think. Oh, well, you know, we're not very innovative. You go, well, yeah, you've, you've taken the confidence away and the braveness away by criticism of when things didn't go right. Because things won't go right. Best companies in the world have many failures. Definitely. Over the past few months and maybe this period, have you noticed any brands or anything that's impressed you that you've said they've been sort of intentional about how they've taken on this uncertainty? I sort of noticed, and this is really interesting from a brand point of view, is like, so Ben & Jerry's got um, you know, bought out by Unilever. And normally when that happens is, and the founders are no longer attached to it. You know, the soul of the company sort of leaves the building. And, and soul, like culture, is a hard thing to, to um, describe. And, and when you talk about it, people just go, oh, my God, you know, is this hippie stuff? You go, but as soon as you walk into a place, you kind of know something's missing. It's like going to a restaurant. You just go, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you, you haven't eaten the food yet, but you just know it's amazing. And so like Ben & Jerry's, 
um, you know, got taken over by a big, you know, big, big company. And, and, and what they've done is that they've become even more Ben and Jerry's than they were in the beginning, which is normally the opposite happens. And so, you know, you know, Ben and Jerry's, you know, you know especially with you know, Black Lives Matter, really, really found their voice again. And, and, and that's been an extraordinary you know, thing to watch where you suddenly go, wow, um, they're doing things. And they're, they're normally, you know, when you attach a big company to it, you go, oh, yeah, they, they're not allowed to do anything interesting anymore. And, and they've, they've sort of found their voice again, which is extraordinary. I, I love that. I think one of the, the key things that I've seen in, in a small town is that suddenly that community desire to help each other, which especially in busy times, perhaps that wasn't there as much as you would want it to be. Suddenly that brought people together and saying, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And and that was you know, one of the you know, silver linings of a, a very odd cloud um and i think that that was heartening to see absolutely david you you've written a couple of books if we just change um conversation for a minute such as you know do purpose and and do open obviously being a curator of so much content with the do lectures if if someone was going to write a book about you kind of what would that book be about gosh um that is a good question. Um, I think it would, the thing I'm really interested in is why teams win. And sometimes teams with the most money, the most resources, the most everything don't win. And to build a team is so many things have to be right. And to be able to do that, to create that safe space, to also create that safe space where people are still pushed to do their best work because comfort zones can, you know, you can relax too much in a comfort zone. And so I would be interested in that aspect and I'm still learning. And I mean, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm literally watching Jürgen Klopp. I'm just going, I think he's actually a genius. He's a genius from an emotional intelligence point of view where he can read situations, read human beings, and he can, uh, you know, he, he, he does things that actually have, is so rare. He could be a CEO of any company. He certainly has that approach of bringing the team together, but something you've done with uh, the denim company in terms of all your staff are grandmasters of their craft. So you've said that like 10,000 hours to put a grandmaster at chess and some of your workers, employees, and people you work with have put in almost 50,000 hours into honing their craft yeah. denim production. So that's that's a good lesson for people to see from the culture that you're trying to create. Just in terms of the denim company and success of where you're going with your ventures, where do you see your measure of success in five years' time? Where would you like to see the company as it's blossoming in terms of sales or in terms of what its footprint in, on the world has been and its, its markets left or is still continuing to leave? Well, the thing that I mean, I'm saying to the team is I don't really get excited about numbers because it's just not that interesting to me. And what I say to the team is the thing that I'm interested in scaling is influence. I'm not that interested in, in scale. I think if we are influential in this world, our business will grow and, and the influence will come 
from us doing interesting things, hard things, things that no one else has done before. So I'm trying to get that thing of, you know, for them, you know, look, hey, can we be the world's first jeans company to take microplastics out of jeans? Can we do, can we be the first jeans company to, you know, make a biodegradable gene? Like all, all these things, again, like asking questions, can we do this? Can we do this? Because interesting things happen when you do interesting things. And so I kind of want to you know, say, if somebody was asking me what success would be for the Hyatt Denim Company is to be one of the most influential denim companies in the world. Because I know if someone said that, it would be about our ability to make, but also our ability to have ideas. And I think that thing of you can be a million pound business, you can be a two million pound business and, and one of the most influential like businesses in the world. Like, you know, Renny Rossetti, you know, world's best chef, you know, you know his restaurant seated 45 people. And, and so he had a restaurant for 45 people and yet he was um, regarded as one of the, the best chefs in the world. I mean, and I'm proud that we make jeans for him. I mean, that's, we've got confused in business a lot that actually you know, the only thing that matters is you know, how big a company is. No, actually, the only thing that actually matters is how much influence that business you know, has in this world to do good. So if we can go and show like denim companies that you can actually get one of the greenest jeans on the planet and still be a good business, that's a good thing to copy. No one really copies you know, people who are doing things poorly. And so our influence comes from us you know, trying to do things that others haven't. And what big ideas maybe have you, have you learned from someone or even from thinking to yourself in the chicken shed that's helped inform your moves in the business space that maybe has helped you impact influence further? Well, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I mean, one of my favorite brands is a company called Patagonia. And they make outdoor clothing. They make very good outdoor clothing. And But they're also, you know, like trying to get everyone to think about the environment and, and, and try and, you know, through education, you know, try and protect it because it's so important to us. Um, and one of my lessons is you think, oh, you know, uh, they're an amazing company, and and yet, I wrote a piece about the journey of a carrot from Poland to Cardigan, and it's one of the most boring pieces of writing I've ever written. And it, it like it took you on every roundabout, you know, turn left down here, turn right down here. I mean, it was literally mind-numbingly boring. And yet, like that journey of a carrot influenced. Patagonia to go and do their footprint chronicles thing. So they would, you know, like tell their customers that this product has traveled these many miles uh, and it has this impact. And, and so you can be, you know, you know like a, an SBI, small but influential. And, and so you think, oh, you can't make a difference from a shed in West Wales, and yet you can. Because that's the impact you know, you know, I've had on my favorite brand. And so you can, you, when you do things and you, you, you have these ideas and you put them out there, you can have influence. And so 
I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's really interesting to me where, you know, wow, you can be the most innovative one million pound company in the world. You can be the most influential two million pound company in the world. Like it's not that thing of we've got to get rid of that notion that the the only impactful businesses are the big businesses. That's, that's kind of horse manure. <laughs> for the carrots. <laughs> yeah, for the carrots. You told a story before about how you had an old car, which its petrol gauge didn't really work. So you had to estimate that if you sold well on the day, you could put petrol in the car and get home. Has that been something that's continued to influence you, that car? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... Um... I mean, I always remember Wu Tang saying sales is power. And it's always an interesting journey if you have an old car and you know the um, you know the petrol gauge is faulty, so you don't even know if you have a full tank or an empty tank. And so the only way to get home safely is to sell. And so I would always try and sell the most I could you know, get to the petrol station, fill it up. So I knew I wouldn't run out of petrol. And there's nothing worse than you always run out of petrol in the worst of places. Um, and I think that notion has always stayed with me because actually, you know, like a business, you know, has to be focused on sales. And and that car really taught me how important that was because when I didn't sell well, the fear of getting in that car, knowing I wasn't sure absolutely if I would get home. And there were times, many times where I didn't. And so like, I always had an urgency to sell, mostly because I just wanted to get home for tea. And, and it, was, it was a really, like, it was an odd lesson, but it was very informative. Now, now David, say you're, you, you did make it home in your car and you got back to your shed and you, you went in and you were opening, taking out the keyboard to write a nice piece about another vegetable, about broccoli. Um, <laughs> but but there was a 15-year-old version of you sitting beside the keyboard. You had to push him out of the way. And then he said, what can you teach me about the next couple of years ahead? What would you What would you tell that 15-year-old version of yourself? That's a, I mean, it's a good question. And uh, sort of, um, I, I think there's... I mean, growing up in Wales is, you know, you come out of school and um, you don't leave school with a great deal of confidence. You don't leave school, you you have some qualifications, but you kind of, um, you're not taught the things that you need to be taught. And and that is, you know, you know, about actually you have good ideas. You, you know, you should be confident. You, you know, you can... You can do these things, and and especially if you know, you try things and it doesn't work, what brilliant learning! You got loads of time, and and the one thing for me is you've got to um, you've got to have confidence in yourself, and you've got to um, if there's not, you know if there's some things that you don't know, you know like go on YouTube and learn it. And, um, you know, always invest in yourself. And, and if you, you know, don't ever think that other people are smarter than you, because mostly on average, they're not. A message that all of the people and everyone involved at the Do Company often say is stay curious. Oh, I'm wondering yeah. what's keeping you curious at the moment? Well, I'm really interested. My problem is I actually, um, I think uh, 
I sort of left school and I, I mean, I probably didn't learn very much at school. And then uh, I've sort of been trying to make up for it ever since. The thing that I'm super curious now is like, I look at the economy. I mean, you know, I got a very poor grade in economics, but I look at the economy and I'm going, wow, okay, this is pretty interesting. And, and I mean, you'd have to fact check this, but I read something, you know, like there's been uh, more print, more money printed in the last three weeks than the last hundred years. And, and I was like, going, I mean, you know, I got a C grade in economics, but I'm going, I don't know if that ends well. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, everything I know about economics is that's never ended well. <laughs> and so the thing I'm curious about is, and I've actually been really curious about it for a while. In 2013, you know, um, Hyatt, you know, on the website, you know, started, you know, if you wanted to pay in Bitcoin, you could. I've been really curious about the future of money and how all that works out. And and there is a revolution happening right now, and, and most people don't even know it's happening. Um, and, you know, you know, the the future of money is going digital, and and people mostly don't know. Um, and, and the banks, as we know them, will... You know, much like Nokia thought they had a really great business, is and and they thought that it was going to you know be around forever. I'm not sure banks you know really totally understand how much you know innovation um, is happening, and and they're not doing it. And uh, so that's really got me super curious. I think you know the the blockchain you know, will fix the internet, which is good because you know it's it's. Um, it's not, um, you know, there were almost 3 billion, um, you know, hacks last year, which kind of tells you that it might not be as safe as it can be. So that's really got my um, curiosity. I think most people are missing it. People think, oh, it's a, you know, it's a scam, it's a scam. And I'm going, mm, well, let me tell you this, is you can print tons of money, but actually Bitcoin is you can't print more Bitcoin. So which, in the end, are you going to trust? And, and I think there's a fundamental change happening, and most people that, you know, don't even know it's going to happen. And, but it's going to happen pretty quick. Get online, people. <laughs> so look, David, con considering the turbulence, but yet you've managed to get through those waters very well, you know, and adapted this year, and rolling into kind of 2021 and moving forward, what's next? What are the big things coming forward for you? Oh, that's a good question. I, th I think, um, in a way, I'm sort of I see you know like great opportunities, and you know, the do lectures could go and start ten companies. the The thing for me, and since you know I've had to go and work this one out, and it took take me a little while. Is when somebody says, "Oh, I'll go and start ten companies," I think, "Oh my god, that's just more work for me." And and you mentioned the do book company, and you know. Miranda runs the Do Book Company. I, I spent six months doing a PDF on a business plan, and, and in the end, I was just going. I literally don't know anything about the book industry at all, not even a bit. And then I sort of parked it on a Friday, and then on a Tuesday, this woman who I'd never met, Miranda, phoned me up and said, "Have you ever thought about starting a book company?" I'm going. I'll send you the PDF. And you know, she's made a real success of the Do Book Company. And so that's made me think about what else we could do as the do company. It, 
it really exists to try and help people take that next step forward and give them the confidence or the tools, you know, um, to enable them to go and, uh, you know, get somewhere close to, you know, you know, their potential. And, and it's a great community and it's a community company and I'm really interested in that. So, you know, could it go and start, you know, a, a, um, a physical company that is, you know, creates, you know, writing sheds around the world. Yeah, it could do that. Could it go and do, you know, a research business? Yeah, it could do that. There's a lot of things we could do. And as long as they serve our community, and as long as we come at it from a point of view, will this be of service to our people? And can we do it better than anyone else? So those are things I'm thinking about. And with Hyatt Denim, I'm just going, okay, how do we innovate? How do we bring some ideas to this party? Because honestly, um, you know, it's, you know, jeans have the same number of uh, legs as uh, 140 years ago. Um, you know, the rivet was invent- invented 140 years ago. Um, five pocket jean was 140 years ago. There's not been that much innovation um, going on. But, I mean, you know, you know, to be fair, I mean, they got it right and they made a beautiful, beautiful product. Uh, insanely beautiful product, but not much innovation in between that time and now. And then speaking about a future time, and people are looking back on the impact we've had on the world, what would you like your legacy to say about you? I think if people came and worked for me and they went and left uh, with much more confidence about their skills and ideas, I would say that was a good thing. And and that's not a big idea, but you suddenly work out in business that you're in charge of a team and, and seeing them, you know, grow, growing humans is actually, that's the the best thing uh, an entrepreneur can do. David, look, this has been a lot of fun. We've learned an awful lot from you. We have one final question, which we ask all of our guests that, that come on the show. And it's, it's been really very interesting to hear kind of the diverse sort of answers we've gotten through over the last couple of months. So, David Hyatt, what does high performance mean to you? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it's getting out of bed, having had a great night's sleep, and all the energy wants to take you forward. David Hyatt, Kiran beside me and myself, David Clancy, would like to say thanks very much for your time today to speak to the two of us. I'm sure our listeners will have gotten a lot from this conversation. We've really enjoyed it. Stay fit, stay healthy, wishing you all the best in, in all your projects and, and ventures for, for all your pieces of work moving forward. Thank you very much again. My pleasure. And thank you very much. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.